all came out on a Friday night for refresh, and I just, I'm, I'm super excited that this is something that we're doing, because not everybody can take off for a full weekend, and so just to be able to be together tonight and tomorrow, what a gift, what a gift, and, and the theme being beautiful, and thinking about um, what it is to discover the beauty that God has created in our souls. And I was asked to speak about this topic of taking care of ourselves. And I want to tell you just a little bit about me first, and that I hope will lay some foundation for what I'm going to share tonight. So I, I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a pastor's home. I was actually raised in an alliance pastor's home. And, um, and I was raised to be in church every time the doors were open. And so that meant that once I could actually walk and talk, I was also serving because um, that's what you do. And so when you're a pastor's daughter, just so you know, you have to learn to play the piano and sing. That's, just, that's, that's what you have to do. And so I certainly did. Uh, because there are times in small little churches where the piano player is sick and there's no one to do music. And so your daddy says, you're on. Um, and so I, I got a taste of serving in, in the church and doing ministry and helping others. My mother was also a very generous, generous soul. Um, we always had people in our home, and they were, they were coming over for meals and so forth. So I, I really was raised with a rich tradition of serving and giving. But as, as I grew up, I, I wouldn't say that I had a spirit-filled joy in that serving until I hit about 18 years old, because it was at 18 years old where I hit a real crisis point in my life, and God met me there in a really powerful way. And so some of the things that I had been doing as I had been raised um, to just kind of do church or play church, I'll even say, that didn't work. That, that doesn't work when you hit a crisis, okay? Does anyone else know that? Yeah, when, when the rubber meets the road, all of a sudden, what's really in your heart and what's really in your soul um, shows. And so that was a gift of grace from God. And so I hit this crisis point in my life, but what happened is I met Jesus. And that was really awesome. And so my, my serving and my heart for giving to others was, was just broadened. Something just happened within my heart. And I found this new sense of excitement in helping others experience what I had experienced. Because isn't it true that as we receive from God the Father, like we sang tonight, he is a good, good father. And when we experience that at a deep level, it has to come out somewhere. It has to come out somewhere. There's just a, there's just a beautiful um, rhythm that God has created that as we receive, we're also wanting to give. And we see this in nature all the time. I'm going to um, see if I can do this right. Let's see. So there's this circle of love that God has created, and we even see it in nature because the ocean gives water through evaporation to the clouds, and the clouds rain down that moisture to the lakes. And the lakes end up giving it to plants, and it ends up um, going back into the oceans and then up to the clouds. There's this beautiful, beautiful circle of giving and receiving, giving and receiving. In the same way, plants give us oxygen to breathe, and our body makes carbon dioxide. And so then we give it back to the plants, and they give it back in the form of oxygen. There's this beautiful, beautiful cycle. Even electricity works on a circuit, which is circular. 
And so as we think about the way that God has designed this pattern of giving and receiving, giving and receiving, and we have been designed to receive from him so that we can give to others. There's this beautiful, beautiful saying we say in recovery, and that is you can't keep what you don't give away. You don't get to keep what you don't give away. There is something that is necessary about giving out so that you can continue to receive. So the question that I have for us tonight is this. If this is the way that God has designed us, and I believe it is, if this is the way that God has designed nature, and I believe that it is, then why are there times, why are there seasons when we feel exhausted, frustrated, and resentful when it comes to giving to others? And if you haven't had a season like that, you probably will. Because <laughs> that seems to be human nature, where we, we enter into seasons where truly we have joy, and then we enter into seasons where truly we are frustrated. And if you're like me, um, you enter into those seasons and think, what is wrong with me? I must not be a good enough Christian. Or what is wrong with me? I guess I really don't like people. You know, I, <laughs> I, I had someone say that to me. She was like, you know, I got into this ministry, and I thought I'd really like it, but it turns out I don't really like people. And <laughs> I thought, well, that's kind of a problem. Um, um, but I could relate because there's times, I mean, I know that I do like people, but I'll be honest, there have been times where I feel kind of resentful or frustrated or wiped out, or I find myself going, I don't want to talk on the phone ever again, ever. And so in those moments, one of the temptations is to think, okay, I'm not a good Christian. I really don't like people that much. I really wasn't made for ministry. There's just lots of places we can go that are full of guilt and shame. And what I want to do tonight is to look at some other possible reasons that this happens. Other possible reasons that we find ourselves in seasons where even though we do have a heart for God and we have a heart for people, but we feel wiped out. So that's what we're going to unpack tonight. One of the things that I have found, and as I, as I began to share with you earlier, um, at 18, I really sensed this great joy in giving. And for my young adult years, um, I was at the church all the time, all of the time, and serving. And I had little kids. My, my husband and I got married very young. We had little kids when we were young. But, boy, we just drug them along with us. It was awesome. And something happened at about year 10. Something happened for me at about year 10. And I began to experience many of the things I just told you about. And so what I'm going to share tonight is, is much of it is part of my own journey in trying to figure this out. And one of the things that I discovered is that I cannot give out if I'm empty. And that's kind of a duh. I, I know that's kind of a duh. But I want us to think about that for, for a minute. We have cups. And as, and as women, I think that there is a lot of expectation on us to continue to continue to give, continue to serve, continue to give, continue to serve. And the fact is there are times when our cups are empty. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I remember listening to that and just struggling, going, I'm not even sure I love God anymore. I'm just, I'm so wiped out. I just feel so empty. I don't, I'm not even sure. And what I began to realize is that, that that command is actually a beautiful gift of grace because 
he's helping us to understand that we can love God in our mind and in our emotions and in our physical strength. But here's what I also discovered. If those places are empty, if I have not created space in my emotions, in my mind, in my physical body, in my relationships, then I cannot give love. And maybe even more importantly, it's really hard to receive love from the Father in those places where I'm empty. So I'm going to have us do an exercise for a few minutes. I have four stations around the room. Um, one is here, one is back by Becky and Baby, and one is in the very far corner, and one is here. And each of these stations represent emotion or mind, physical strength, and relationships. And there are cups at each station. And what I'd like you to do is get one cup, and I want you to go around to these different stations and write some different ways that you can fill up your cup emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally. And there are some hints on these station areas in case you're not sure. So it's going to be a timed, it's going to be a timed exercise. You're only going to get about five minutes. So you have one cup. Find a cup at these stations. Remember, there's station one, two, three, way in the back, and four. If you don't have a pen, I've got a few extra markers over here. But I'd like you to collect sticks from these different stations and begin to fill your cup with the things that you need to, to be restored emotionally, mentally, physically, and relationally. Okay? Clear? All right. Begin. Okay, everybody. All right. Find your, find your chairs. Some of you are still writing. That's okay. Find your chairs. Okay, were you successful in filling up your cups? They're all comp no, no. There was no ice cream. <laughs> Sharon says there's no ice cream on any of those sticks. What? <laughs> what is this? Okay, so, so, it was timed on purpose. All right, y'all, come find your seats. Even even if even if you want to still write on your sticks, it's okay. We're gonna have a chance later. What made that exercise difficult? The writing size. Okay. The fact that there was no ice cream on the sticks. Okay. What else made it difficult? Yes. Yeah. You notice that. Michelle, how many sticks did you get? Okay. I got, I got five as well. There's only, yeah, there's, on, there's only four stations. So it's, it's a little hard to fill your cup when you're giving away your sticks. What, what, <laughs> what else made this difficult? Did anyone have a hard time trying to think of what? Like, I mean, there were some hints on here, but. Okay, so some of it was hard to read. If, if, they hadn't, if, if there hadn't been any prompts on there, would it have been difficult to think of what really does fill me up? Yeah, yeah. Someone else, you had your hand raised. Not enough time. Now, is that a common reason why it's hard to get our cups filled up? The time factor? We're running around and things are urgent, and 
and annoying people are asking for our sticks? No wonder we feel resentful sometimes. <laughs> Anything else that made that difficult? Yes. Yes. So many people. Yes. Have you ever felt like, boy, I could just get filled up if I didn't have so many people in my life that I'm trying to kind of maneuver, right? So, I mean, these are, these are some of the things that even in real life, it's hard to get our cup filled. You have to, yeah, waiting, the timing. Ha have you ever thought to yourself, yeah, I'd really love to start taking care of myself in this way or that way, but I just, as soon as I get to this next season of my life or as soon as I finish this I'll do it. As soon as, as, soon as um, you know, I get to this age or this stage or, you know, there's lots of different reasons. The fact is we do know, we do have a sense of the kinds of things that can fill us up, but there are so many barriers that get in the way, so many barriers that get in the way. And what I have found, um, sometimes we don't think of things even like our physical health. But do you know that when our physical health is suffering, when we are struggling um, and our bodies aren't working the way that they need to work, it does make it difficult at times to leave space to not just take care of ourselves, but to hear from the Father, right? It really does. It really does. And so part of what I want to talk about tonight is how do we fill our cups? How do we fill our cups? How do we create space for this? We all know it's important. We, we hear a lot about self-care. So why is it so difficult for us to do it? Part of it is time. Part of it is that we've got people saying, I need this from you. I want this from you. Let me have that stick. <laughs> and many of you are very nice people, which, which is a great thing. But guess what? I didn't have to work very hard at all to get these <laughs> from you. <ya. laughs> um, and so... The next thing I want to talk about, one of the reasons why it's really difficult sometimes to serve is because we think love equals always saying yes. We think love means always saying yes. I would like to tell you a story. And this is a fictitious story, but you might find um, some things that resonate with you. And I'm going to ask you to listen to it because then I'm going to have you break into some smaller groups just with people around you to discuss this story. But this is the story of a woman named Mary. Mary's alarm goes off at 5.30 a.m. And when she goes to turn it off, she is overwhelmed by the feeling of panic mixed with exhaustion because her daughter's school program is tonight and she was supposed to make a costume for her and it didn't get done. She was going to do the costume the night before. She had a little time set aside for it, but her mother called, and her mom said, Mary, could I come over and talk? And Mary said, you know, Mom, this isn't a good night. I've got to get this costume made for Melinda. She's got her program tomorrow. And her mother then proceeded to really heap on a big helping of guilt and said, well, I know you're busy. I know there's always things you have to do, but you don't know what it's like to be alone, Mary. And I don't, I don't like to be alone here every night. And um, you know, I know you're really, really busy, but I would think you could find some time for your mother. And so Mary says, so Mary says, come on over, come on over. And after all, she wants to do what the Bible says. She wants to honor her mother and father. 
So her mother comes over and stays for one hour, two hours, three hours, and basically goes home very late, and Mary crawls into bed. Well, this morning she wakes up, as I said, with panic. And she gets up, and she begins to scurry around the house, and she's making lunches for her husband and making lunches for her kids. And, of course, then she ends up late to work. And she gets to work, and she begins to work on the files in her office. And her coworker comes in and begins to unfold the drama of her week. And this coworker is a friend. She is, but her drama hasn't changed in 15 years. It's the same stuff she's been hearing for 15 years. But she wants to mourn with those who mourn. And she wants to weep with those who weep. And this, this coworker can really weep, and she can really mourn. So it actually goes into her lunch hour. And so we're halfway through the lunch hour, and Mary's going, I, I really got to go get something to eat. And of course, there's no time when you've only got 20 minutes left to get something healthy. So she runs out and gets fast food. Forget exercise. That's not even a part of her life. She comes back into the office, and she's starting to just okay, settle, try to get some work done. And her boss comes in and hands her, in fi hands her a file and says, could you get some quick edits done? Well, Mary knows that there's no such thing as quick edits with her job, with her boss. And in fact, the boss had this file three weeks ago. But Mary wants to be a good witness. And so she smiles and she takes the file. And she doesn't get it done because there are no quick edits. And so she heads home with the file in hand and with thoughts of trying to get this costume completed. She comes home. She begins to make dinner. Dinner's finally ready, and she has to call her family not once to the table, not twice to the table, but three times to the table because that's how it works in her house. They finally come. She feeds them. She rushes off to the extra bedroom where she throws together a costume, feeling very guilty and like a bad mom because she's sure her daughter is the only one that's going to look like that. <laughs> it's not the best costume, but it's what she had time for. So she goes to the program. She puts on a smile. She comes home and ends up in another big fight with her husband. And she's been really trying lately to avoid these fights, and she's, she's tried a new, new technique. It's called love away the anger. And what that means is she's extra polite, she's extra apologetic, she tries to smile a lot, and she wants to have a gentle spirit. After the fight's over, she crawls into bed and she opens up her Bible, but she can't even read it. All she can do is cry, and she asks God, why, why, God, is my life so hard when I'm trying to do all the right things? So the question I'd like you to talk about and if you can get into groups of four or so, four or five, I'd like you guys to answer these questions in your small group. Where does Mary need to set boundaries? We talk a lot about boundaries, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit more when we're done in our small groups, but I'd like you to talk about where does Mary need to set boundaries? What might that look like? To what parts of Mary's story can you relate? And why is setting boundaries so hard? So try to get into groups of four or five, and we'll take a few minutes to discuss those, and then we'll come back together. Okay. Okay. Let's wrap it up. I'd love, I'd love to hear from a few of the groups. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm going to take us right to the bottom question, and, and I'm trusting you guys maybe had some good discussion about the, the top three, but why is setting boundaries so hard? What did you come up with in your groups?
Yes. Okay. Other people will sink if we don't help them. Yes. And, and, and we don't feel like we can bear to see other people sink if there was something that we could have done to stop it. Good. What else? Yes. Yes. Yes, we want to see ourselves as that supportive, capable, able person, and really we kind of want other people to see us that way too, right? Okay. What else? Yes. Yes. Biblically, it's, it's hard to tease that out sometimes to kind of go, okay, where is God asking me to push myself a little bit and stretch and grow? And when is he saying, no, that is not your place to stretch and grow? And it's hard to tease that out biblically, and sometimes it's hard to tease it out just in terms of, is God asking me that? Yeah, good. What else? Yes, in the back. Yes. 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 And I appreciate what you said about there really being a, do a different standard for women than men. I think that's quite true. And there's actually quite a lot of um, data that would support that, that there's just a different, when women say no and are firm, um, uh, they aren't usually called very nice names, <laughs> where, where, whereas for men, it's that they're being assertive and strong and confident, but it's a little different. And yes, that whole thing of it being personal, yeah, good insight. And anything else? Yes. Yeah, good. Knowing your limits, you have, and there's a, there's a certain amount of self-awareness that's got to be there to even know that, right? And then you also mentioned some strategizing around how to prioritize. Did any other groups move into some solutions like that? Did, did your, was your hand up, Becky? Yes. Yes, and we think to ourselves, I might as well just do it because it's a lot better than sitting here feeling guilty, right? Yeah, good, good. Did any other groups move into some different strategies for, for getting better at setting boundaries? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, so having some structure and rhythm and, and the, the policy is saying, hey, in our home at 8.30, these, these all go off and we leave space for other things. Good. Sharon, you had your hand up. 
Good. Yeah. So, so, there, so there were some opportunity, opportune moments. Yeah. Some things could get in the way, but there, there might have been some opportune moments to invite other people into the, yeah, into some of the solutions. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. That whole sense of community and comparing ourselves and thinking everyone else seems to be able to do it. Why can't I do it? I guess I'll just keep pushing. We do this to each other. Can I just say that? That, you know, we, we can all own some of that to say, wow, when we're all trying to kind of um, perform and be that perfect um, mom, husband, roommate, friend, wh wh daughter, whatever it is, um, it, it really creates kind of this community. It's not even real because we're all just pushing and we're trying to, to present our best selves because we somehow have this message that that's what God wants. Um, yeah, and so reaching out and just saying, hey, I need some help here, um, and, and I'm willing to be authentic and vulnerable with you. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not making it today. <laughs> yeah, good. And that, and that leads me into this third area, reasons why it's so difficult to serve. Sometimes we're empty. Sometimes we have a lack of boundaries. And sometimes, this is, that was a perfect segue, sometimes it's because we mix perfectionism into our service to others. And if you don't like that word perfectionism, we can use performance. It's another P word, okay? So if you don't, if you say, oh, I'm not a perfectionist, let's just put some performance in there because we've all got a little bit of that. Now, when I'm talking about perfectionism and performance, I am not talking about um, the healthy stretching, healthy growing, striving to be the best that we can be. That is, that is not what I'm talking about. Let me give you a definition um, that I think is helpful. Perfectionism is the faulty belief that if we live, look, and act perfectly, we can avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. Okay, let me read that again. And this is, that's a definition by Brene Brown. If we live, look, and act perfectly, we can avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. So that's what I'm talking about when I use this word perfectionism or performance, and we can get this kind of performance addiction thing going. Now, the reality is, here, here's the tricky part about perfectionism and performance. There is some logic to it, because the fact is, when we do serve and do everything and push ourselves and don't get enough sleep and make the perfect costume and spend all the time, the fact is, we do get some admiration from others, don't we? Don't you kind of secretly admire that person who can do that, right? We can all kind of feel that, and it's just enough of a hit. It's just enough of a hit that we keep going back for more. That's what happens. That's what happens. So, so the fact that there's a little bit of logic in it um, keeps us hooked. It keeps us hooked. And Brene Brown talks about it like a shield, a shield that we think can guard us from that pain of blame, judgment, and shame. Because that's what we're really afraid of, often when it comes right down to it at its core. However, 
I want to unpack this a little bit because to take a look at what perfectionism and performance really cost us, okay? So the first thing it costs us is disappointment because perfectionism requires us to control what other people think. Think about that for a minute. Perfectionism requires us to control what other people think. Are there any Star Wars fans? And a few? Okay, you know, okay, good. You know that kind of like Jedi trick where they, they make someone believe something and think something? That's the only place it works. That does not <laughs> work in real life, um, to my knowledge. I don't know. Uh, if you have those skills, let me know. But um, the fact is, when we are in that performance mode, we have to hustle and control what people think about us, which is impossible because you know that even when you are hustling, doing everything that you can and burn the candle at both ends and sacrificing here and sacrificing there and smiling here and saying yes here, the fact is we can never do that completely. There will be people who don't approve or like us. And that leads to disappointment. So perfectionism costs us disappointment. Addiction. Performance is an addiction. As I said before, you get just enough of a hit to make you going back to go back for more. I remember one time going to um, a party. It was it was our we had a small group that met in our home for years, and uh, we would take turns bringing desserts. Well, we had one lady who was amazing. She even before Pinterest was cool, I swear she had pages and pages of ways to make these awesome desserts. So she comes to our group one night, and she's made these cupcakes, and the frosting looks like sand. The theme was beaches. She said, oh, these are the beaches cupcakes. The frosting looked like sand. There was a little umbrella in it. She had gum that was striped, like that fruit gum that's striped. What is that even? Like zebra gum or whatever. And she had it shaped into a lawn chair. And then she had a gumball down by the lawn chair for the beach ball. Exactly. The rest of us are like, those, oh, those are so cute. We love those. Aren't, those are awesome. So we were giving her her hit, okay? But you know what was happening for us? We're thinking, okay, when it's my turn to bring something, I got to up the ante. It's addiction. And, it, and it's cyclical. And instead of us stepping back and looking at the logic of it, we just keep going back for another hit, trying to get the high. Really? Depression. Perfectionism requires us to be critical of ourselves. What happens to a child who's constantly criticized? You're not good enough. You should have done that better. It's not quite right. What happens to a child? No, but self-esteem, um, depression, anxiety. The same thing happens with our own self-talk. When we are in that performance mode, honestly, it requires us to be pretty unkind to ourselves. If we were able to slow down our self-talk, Honestly, ladies, we wouldn't talk to other people the way that we often talk to ourselves. We really wouldn't. But we do it all the time. And this whole performance and perfectionism thing is killing us. It really is. And sometimes I, I, when, I, when I slow down, I go, man, I, you know, I, I feel kind of, I'm off. What is going on? Oftentimes I can trace it back to this, this whole thing of, I didn't do that well enough, it wasn't good enough, I just need to try harder. Um, sometimes I'll even, this is, this is a good one, sometimes I'll even put some Christianese in it. Um, God wants you to do better. 
He's, he's gifted you. You, sh- you should really be a better steward of what he's given you. When God's going, I didn't ask you to do that. What? You think you're hearing from me? That, that's you. That's your fear. That's the perfectionism. Yes. Yes. Sharon just said we should all over ourselves. I should do this. Yeah. Yes, we shouldn't shit on ourselves. This one isn't being recorded, right? Because <laughs> that could have come out wrong. Okay. Okay, anxiety. Perfectionism costs us anxiety. Because especially in social situations, we have to be hypervigilant and watch our situations, watch our interactions so that we can come across really smart, really cool, or maybe really funny. Okay, and what does that create? Stress, anxiety in our bodies because we're watching, we're hustling, we're hypervigilant, causing anxiety. Here's one, regret. You know, perfectionism requires us to play it safe and not take risks. Because if we can't do it perfectly, we're just not going to do it. And that leads to regret, missed opportunities, missed opportunities, because we thought if we couldn't just shine like a star when we did it, why even try? Dishonesty. Perfectionism often requires us to lie, or I can say it a little softer, just be a little less honest about who we really are. Yeah. I am not proud to admit that this was a struggle for me for a long time. I I wanted to just present who I thought people wanted me to be. I did that for years, especially as a young woman. I would just present that, present that. Sad to say, there was a point in my life where someone said to me, Stephanie, what what do you like to do in your time off? What do you like to do for a hobby? Um, And I couldn't answer. I didn't know. Wow. Because I just kept presenting like I was interested in the things that you were interested in. If you wanted me to do this, I'll do that. Again, that shield, that pink, shiny shield that I thought would protect me from the pain of shame and blame and judgment. Impatience. Oh, man. Okay, so let me, let me tell another story on myself. Um, I, some of you have heard this story. When I was first asked to um, consider being the director of Life Path, I said, well, I want to take a group first to really e- experience Life Path as a participant. And so I was trying to figure out which group to take. And so I took home the list of groups, and I said to my family, I'm not sure which, which group I should take. There's some on boundaries. There's safe people. There's, there's one on control. And my kids said, that's the one. I was like, what are you talking about? The one on control, Mom. I said, you think I'm a controlling person? And they just started laughing among themselves. It's like, what do you mean? So we had this really nice, great conversation, this honest conversation, and it really was. And they said, Mom, when we have a big get-together at the house for a holiday or a birthday or, you know, just a get-together, they said, you micromanage us constantly. You're always trying to control us. And I thought about that. And, you know, that perfectionism and performance really requires everyone else in my little sphere to hustle and make me look good, right? So that creates this impatience with people, like my family I'm talking about now, because I wanted to make sure that my kids and my husband and my house, and so we hustled, and I was micromanaging, and it created this, this constant impatience, which is not the kind of mom I want to be. And yet I was. So I took the Life Path group. And it started working. <laughs> so I took the job. 
Oh, okay. So, resentment. Perfectionism requires us to say yes. Stephanie, can you make cupcakes for the next gathering? Yes. Stephanie, can you help out Miss Ministry? Yes. Stephanie, it goes on and on and on. It requires us to say yes, which leads ultimately to what? Resentment. Have you found yourself ever being in a place of ministry and pretty soon you're just kind of like just, just resentful and kind of frustrated and going, I used to like these people. And, you know, you're not sure what's going on. But oftentimes it's because we, that resentment about just saying yes, saying yes. And finally, disconnection. Perfectionism and performance costs us disconnection with other people because just as we've already said here tonight, we end up comparing, we end up presenting a false self, and that means I have to keep you out here, right? I have to keep you out here so that I keep you far enough away that you can't see the real me. Total disconnection. So this nice, shiny shield that we thought was supposed to protect us ends up being more like this. <laughs> it ends up being more like that. It does not protect us. And imagine each of those things that it causes. Imagine those being big metal weights connected to that shield. You, can, you can't even lift that thing up. You can't even lift it up. It's, it's not protecting at all. Okay. So what is the solution? I have been thinking a lot um, and even studying a lot this whole area of compassion. I used to just use the word love, but there's something about compassion that, that resonates with me differently. So when I think about what it means to let go of perfectionism, to let go of the sense that I have to say yes, what it means to leave space in my life so that my cup can be filled, compassion, compassion is what comes to mind. And let me unpack that a little bit. The reason I had you identify some of the sticks that help you fill your cup is that we we get to position ourselves in a place to receive compassion from God. We get to position ourselves in a place where we can hear from God. Did you know that 15 minutes of meditation on God's love actually can change your brain? That's the kind of prayer that actually begins to create space, literally, physically, and in your spirit to receive from God. If you've never done a listening to God retreat, I would highly encourage you, create some space. Let that be one of your sticks. Let that be one of your sticks. God's heart is to pour out his love and his deep compassion. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. If you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're tired of doing things over and over and over, and still not finding joy, come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. All of you who are weary, heavy, take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? A yoke is a structure that is meant to bring freedom. It's kind of like boundaries. You know, boundaries, oftentimes we think it doesn't seem very nice. Do you know that boundaries help preserve relationship? In fact, there are some relationships in which the, o the only way that they can be preserved is through boundaries. 
boundaries aren't a way to, to not have relationship and disconnect. They're a way to stay connected in a way that's healthy. Otherwise, the relationship is going to explode or implode. That's what a boundary is. In the same way, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There is a rhythm of life that Jesus is calling us into, and it brings rest for the soul, for the body, for the mind, and for the emotions. And if you only have one stick tonight, create, have a stick that somehow creates space for you to receive the deep compassion of God. One of the things that has changed my life is the Sabbath. It, is, it has changed my life. And honestly, it has nurtured my marriage like nothing else. Just keeping the Sabbath and allowing the space for God's compassion to pour into my life. There's so many other things I could be doing. And I think to myself, I could be doing this, but I won't get this done. You know what's amazing? It all still gets done. <laughs> when, when we leave space for God's compassion to fill us, things still get done. Because we're doing what is important. We're doing what is needful. The second thing is compassion for self. Self-compassion, what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like creating a boundary. Sometimes it looks like watching our self-talk and being really aware of the way in which we speak to ourselves. Or inviting other people to, to observe how we treat ourselves. Ooh, I did that one time. <laughs> one time, one time I tried it. Um, I had, uh, and actually it was, it was a beautiful thing. I had a, a person in my life and we just agreed to really be authentic with one another and speak into one another's life. And, um, one time she said, Stephanie, you are really hard on yourself. And she was being generous. I mean, that was generous language. She could have said it a lot <laughs> stronger. Um, and I hadn't recognized this particular area and it was like God just used her to say, Wow. That, that is not an expectation that God has for you. It's not an expectation that I have for you, but you are really hard on yourself. So compassion for self. We often think of this verse applying to other people, but think about it for a minute as I read it as applying to yourself. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Isn't that interesting to apply it to ourselves and seeing ourselves in the same way that God sees us and having compassion? And finally, compassion for others. Having compassion for others. I remember when I first realized that, that um, not always saying yes was actually kind to other people too. <laughs> it was a kindness to myself, but God was showing me that it's actually really kind to them, too, because when I kept saying yes and kept kind of hustling around, it didn't require anyone else to take any responsibility. And I remember one time God saying, would you quit playing interference? <laughs> you know, you're, you're playing a lot of interference. I just want a direct line to that person, but you keep rescuing them. Ouch. I don't want to play interference with the Holy Spirit. I, I just want the Holy Spirit to be able to work in people's lives. And sometimes setting a boundary allows that to happen. The other way that um, compassion for others comes out is when we let go of that performance and, and um, perfectionism characteristics. What I have found over and over is that when I continue in that cycle, I'm requiring everyone else to do the same thing. 
boy, we could give a gift to one another as women, couldn't we? A gift to one another to let, let go of that. Okay, I'm going to end with this. Do you guys have your cups? Would you guys grab your cups? My grandmother um, had a favorite hymn. It was a very, very old hymn. And, and in fact, I'm guessing many of you might not even recognize it. But it was called Fill My Cup, Lord. And um, she loved it. She had it written out and she had it posted on the wall. And so what I'd like us to do is just lift our cups to the Lord. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the words of that hymn. And that's going to be our benediction tonight. words go like this. Like the woman at the well, I was searching for things that couldn't satisfy. But then I heard the Savior speaking, come to my well. It never runs dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting in my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Amen.